Today on the Matt Wall Show, the Biden administration celebrates Pride Month with executive orders meant to ensure that more children are drugged and castrated. Also, protesters interrupt a drag queen story hour and are now being investigated for a hate crime because of it, but a hate crime against who? And Texas lawmakers send a letter to the White House asking for an official legal definition of the word woman. Good question. Based on my experience, they're not going to get one, though. Ibram Kendi has a new book out meant to indoctrinate more children into the CRT cult. In our daily cancellation, George Washington University changes its colonials moniker for reasons that make no sense whatsoever. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, that summer vacation you have planned is expensive on its own, but now let's add in the higher cost of gas, credit card fees, which are already close to 19% and are expected to rise again soon. It's becoming impossible to save any money to enjoy some time away after all your hard work this year. Don't let all those expenses ruin all your plans, though. Instead, save some money and get a free mortgage review from our friends at American Financing. Let a salary-based mortgage consultant talk to you about custom loans that can fit your budget better, uh, and that's the truth. I mean, from your home loan to your equity and even your high interest debt, they'll review all of it, and it's very easy for you on your end anyway. And they'll do everything they can to help you save up to $1,000 a month. These are huge savings, and you can help avoid um, all the, the, the costs and everything and the heartache that comes with going on that dream summer vacation. If you're ready to save up to $1,000 a month, pick up the phone and give them a call. If you start soon, you could skip two payments and may close in as fast as 10 days. All you gotta do is call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711 or visit AmericanFinancing.net and MLS 182334 and One of the ironclad rules of modern life and something that I wish conservatives would finally come to understand once and for all and never forget is that the left always doubles down, always escalates. We call it progressivism because it always progresses, progresses in the way that, you know, cancer progresses. This means that if we are moderate in our opposition, if we settle for half measures or worse, if we backtrack, if we triangulate, we're going to become overwhelmed and eventually drowned out of the conversation entirely. The other thing to keep in mind is that the left owns all of our cultural institutions, which means that they own the culture, which means that as they push ever to the left, they drag the entire culture along with them. So this explains the sad, pathetic story of moderate conservatism, so-called. You know, the moderate conservative is looking to, you know, stake out the, uh, the halfway position between the right and the left. But the halfway point is itself caught up in this riptide and drifting quickly to the left. That's how we end up with conservatives who today support at least some of the underlying presuppositions of critical race theory and gender theory. They've adopted a belief system that would have been too radically progressive even for leftists 10 years ago, which is why it's inevitable that 10 years from now, these same moderate conservatives will be proclaiming their support for uh, sex change surgeries for kindergartners, but insisting that only adults should be able to medically transition to a new species. That's, that's where they draw the line. Ah, this, new, this species stuff, that's only for 18-year-old for and, and over, with some exceptions. This will be the moderate and reasonable viewpoint in 2032, if not much sooner than that. So case in point, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, this is one of the most prominent and influential health organizations in the world. They come up with standards of care that are automatically endorsed by you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Psychological Association, and so on. They also, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, you may remember uh, WPATH from a couple of weeks ago, they, they came out in support of eunuch 
as a valid gender identity. So that's where they're coming from. And after receiving lots of criticism for that and for all of the other lunacy that they push and they advocate, WPATH has responded by doing what these people always do. Their message to the public basically is, oh, you don't like it when we push gender transitions on children? Well, guess what? Now we're going to push transitions on even younger children. How do you like that? As Yahoo reports, quote, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health said hormones could be started at age 14, two years earlier than the group's previous advice, and some surgeries done at age 15 or 17, a year or so earlier than previous guidance. The group acknowledged potential risks, but said that it's unethical and harmful to withhold early treatment. Of course, doctors already have been chemically castrating 14-year-old children, chopping the breasts off of 15-year-old girls, and all the rest of it. But now the practice has the official endorsement of a group whose declarations are taken as unquestioned gospel truth by every other medical organization in the entire Western world. How do they justify this? Well, you know, I mean, what do they say to the objections raised by transphobes who are so hateful as to insist that maybe children shouldn't have their healthy body parts removed? They do have a rebuttal of sorts. Um, and, I, and I want you to listen to this. Listen to the, the, the language that's being used here, okay? It's not very subtle. Quote, starting treatment earlier allows transgender teens to experience physical puberty changes around the same time as other teens, said Dr. Eli Coleman, chair of the group's Standards of Care and director of the University of Minnesota Medical School's Human Sexuality Program. But he stressed that um, age is just one factor to be weighed. Emotional maturity, parents' consent, long-standing gender discomfort, and a careful psychological evaluation are among the others. Quote, Certainly there are adolescents that do not have the emotional or cognitive maturity to make an informed decision, he said. That's why we recommend a careful multidisciplinary assessment. Ah, uh, you see, only some adolescents lack the cognitive maturity to consent. But there's nothing about adolescence itself which should dis disqualify children from making these kinds of decisions, he says. It's not a coincidence or a mere byproduct that they are now chipping away at the legal framework that protects children from sexual abuse. That framework is built entirely around the idea that children, no child, can actually offer informed consent. That's the whole point. That's the framework. No child can offer informed consent. It's impossible. That's why we say it's impossible for a child and an adult to have a sexual relationship. Because that's not a relationship. That's rape every time. Why? Because the child cannot consent. He doesn't have the cognitive maturity. Yet WPATH now declares that only some children lack cognitive maturity. Other children are so mature that they can consent to having body parts removed. They can consent to sterilization. They can consent to castration. The whole concept of consent is being intentionally confused and corrupted. They know what they're doing. And so do we. And we know why they're doing it. But WPATH wasn't the only group to double down on LGBT extremism this week. Yesterday, the White House celebrated Pride Month with two executive orders. One is meant to, quote, protect LGBT people from, quote, discriminatory laws that have been passed in a number of states. Uh, namely, the laws which ban doctors from castrating kids, ban males from female sports, and ban teachers from sexually indoctrinating preschoolers. Biden now seeks to protect these children by making sure that they are indoctrinated and castrated. For the other executive order, here's the White House statement explaining it. It says, 
As a candidate, President Biden pledged to help end so-called conversion therapy, a discredited and dangerous practice that seeks to suppress or change the sexual orientation or gender identity of LGBTQI plus people. Today, President Biden is using his executive authority to launch an initiative to protect children across America and crack down on this harmful practice, which every major medical association in the United States has condemned. Now, keep in mind, of course, that conversion therapy also includes telling a boy that he's a boy. That's conversion therapy, right? According to the left, if a parent does not affirm a gender-confused boy as a girl, they are guilty of conversion therapy. So affirmation is to tell a boy that he's a girl, and conversion therapy is to tell a boy that he's a boy. This is the twisted world that we're now living in. Simply using the word he is conversion therapy. They're already arresting people for this crime in Canada, as you heard in our film, What is a Woman? The Biden regime wants to see that same thing happen here. That's how Biden can prove his LGBT bona fides. Something that he's, he's desperate to do, as was made clear during his pride speech yesterday, where he uh, spent several minutes uh, just off the top bragging about all the gay and trans people in his administration. Listen. Look, last year we hosted this event, uh, and the message is simple. Pride is back at the White House. From day one, from day one, this has been the most pro-equality administration in history, led by guys like Pete Buttigieg. And so many others. I think we have more LGBTQ plus people than any administration or every administration combined. No, I, I really mean it. I, I, I totally mean it. Because I promised when I got elected, I wanted my administration to look like America, look like America across the board. And we've done that. A record number of out and proud appointees at every single level of our government. And as I said, you know, Secretary Buttigieg, uh, who needs no introduction, is doing an outstanding job of rebuilding America. And I mean that in a literal sense, and not just in terms of what he's doing in transportation, but he's helping rebuild pride in America. And, you know, and my public spokesman, Corrine Jean-Pierre, is making history. We're also joined by the Assistant Secretary of Health and Education and Human Services, Admiral Rachel Levin. And Undersecretary of Defense, Sean Steely. Where's, where's the Secretary of Defense? Undersecretary of Defense? There you go. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, so we want uh, the administration to look like America, and so it has more LGBT people than every other administration combined. Is that how you make it look like America? You want it to look like America, so you have Rachel Levine? Is that what America looks like to you? Rachel Levine? Yeah, I guess in their mind, that's, that's, what, that's what America is. America is Rachel Levine. So you heard that, right? Biden, after throwing shade on Obama by calling his own administration the most pro-equality in history. So not the, uh, not the administration with the first black president. It's, no, that's not the most pro-equality. He's even more pro-equality than Obama was. 
He also credits Pete Buttigieg with leading his administration and with rebuilding America and also rebuilding pride in America. He's done all this as transportation secretary. And in spite of the the fact that he took three months off for maternity leave, uh, but he's still been able to do all that. So that's pretty impressive. I think Biden is right, though, I have to admit. I mean, who among us has not been overcome with pride because a gay guy named Pete is our transportation secretary? I hear people saying it all the time. Go up to any American on the street and ask them why they're proud of America. And the first thing they'll say is Pete Buttigieg, of course. Now, this obviously is just a bunch of absurd pandering by somebody who doesn't really believe any of this stuff to the extent that he's able to believe anything at all anymore. But does anyone in the administration actually believe any of this? I mean, do they believe that it's abusive and oppressive to not drug and mutilate kids? Do they believe that it's conversion therapy to call a boy he? Do they believe that we should be chopping the breasts off of 15-year-old girls? Do any of the politicians in Washington actually agree with and believe in the extremist LGBT agenda to this extent? Maybe a few of them do. But most have been in the public eye for decades, most prominent ones anyway, and yet never once up until very recently mentioned their affinity for chemically castrating 14-year-olds. They push this now for ideological and political reasons, of course. And that makes it all the more sinister and all the worse. That they're not really true believers. They don't believe it. They know what they're saying. They're only going to continue to double down. They're not going to just stop. Unless we stop them, that is. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, life happens fast and it can end even faster. You picture yourself living to a ripe old age, but then you walk outside and get hit by a bus. It happens all the time. Could happen to you. If it doesn't, you're going to want to have a plan in place. Otherwise, the state, the people you hate, the people who are trying to indoctrinate your kids, take your guns, steal your freedom, they're going to step in and take control of your assets when you're gone. Uh, They're going to determine what legacy you leave behind. You already got hit by a bus. This is just insult to injury. Don't let the state decide what happens to your children should something happen to you. Instead, take five minutes and set up a will through Epic Will starting at just $119. You choose who raises your kids. You choose Who gets your useless crap after you're gone? Here's what I want you to do. Go to epicwill.com and use promo code Walsh. You'll get a 10% discount on Epic Will's complete will package that, yes, could take only five minutes to set up. Many of our family's Daily Wire are now protected thanks to Epic Will. Why don't you do the same? Go to epicwill.com and enter promo code Walsh and do something for your family today. So this was interesting. There are some protesters who crashed a Drag Queen Story Hour event in California over the weekend. Now, we've seen some of the footage of protests outside of Drag Queen Story Hour events, other drag queen events where kids are brought there. Uh, we know what happened in Texas with the, uh, the drag event at a gay bar and kids were brought in by their abusive parents. There were protesters outside, people confronting the drag queens outside, which is good. But in this case, um, the protesters went all the way into the building and actually into the event itself to confront the drag queen and the parents. And let's hear how that confrontation went. So who brought the training? Who, who brought the pedophile? First of all, you No, thank you. Who brought the pedophile? It's not optional. We want to know. You're required. We want to know. Oh, we're medically exempt. Thank you, though. Who brought the pedophile? I just want to know. The story is actually for children. It's for, well, then why is the pedophile here? So if you guys could please... Why did you... No, 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 no. We want to know why there's a pedophile here. We saw videos of what I'm that sorry, thing does. Yeah. Why did you... Uh, 
Hey, it's got videos. You see a lot of pedophiles in here. Little children. Yeah. Why did you bring the pedophiles on YouTube of what it wants to do to little children? Why did you bring the pedophile? I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah. Why would you bring children to a pedophile? Yeah. It's not vulgar language. Hey, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. Why would you want to bring children to this? Why would you want to expose your children to this? Just to prove how tolerant yeah. you are a pedophile? This is the only thing to I have a problem exposing any children to. to this. You want to expose your children to pedophiles to prove how tolerant you are. This is disgusting. It's sick. Really good question to ask there. Why would you want to kid, uh, expose your kids to this? Good question. Love to hear an answer to that. They don't have an answer. At least not an answer they're going to say out loud. Why would you want to expose your kids to this? I mean, you want your kid to, to go to the library, hear a story. You want your kid to, that's uh, totally understandable. I read stories to my kids all the time. Uh, we brought our kids to story times at libraries. It used to be a pretty uncontroversial thing. Why do you need a cross-dressing man to read the story is the question. Why do you need a man who to, is acting out his sexual fetish? Um, why do you need to incorporate that into the story time? Why? Good question and answer. Now, the drag queen there who, uh, who showed up um, cross-dressing for kids to read this story, you know, he, of course, has been in front of the media talking about how terrified he is now and how, what a terrible thing this was, um, how uncomfortable he is now. But here's the thing. Uh, in, a, in a civilized society and in a sane society, you should be made uncomfortable when you're going to do this in front of kids. Okay, people involved in combining drag queens and kids, if they feel uncomfortable about that, they feel like what they're doing is a little bit uh, contentious, that, that's how they should feel. Like You shouldn't feel like it's a normal, comfortable thing to just combine kids and drag queens because it's not normal and it's not okay. And this is at a library, by the way. Let's, let's keep that in mind. This is at a library. This is at a, this is a tax-funded institution. So other taxpayers have every right to voice their disapproval of what their tax money is being used to do. And even if it isn't a tax-funded institution, this is child abuse. And people have every right to express their disapproval of child abuse. Now, um, that's... What I would say anyway, but law enforcement, they're saying something different. In fact, they are now investigating this as a hate crime. What you just saw there is a hate crime. A hate crime against who? Drag queens? Drag queens are now a protected class of people? I mean, what's what's the, you know, this isn't even we're going to try to charge them with disturbing the peace or uh, uh, anything like that harassment. I mean, they might try to throw some of those charges on there too. I'm sure they will. But uh, we're not talking about that part of it. Okay. Hate crime. Now, even according to the way the hate crime laws are written, and there are a lot of problems with the way they're written. There are a lot of problems with just the hate crime category in general. But the way it's supposed to work is that uh, if you do something discriminatory or uh, in, in a harassing manner towards a protected class of people. And again, the fact that there are protected classes, which means that there are then unprotected classes, the fact that we have this is in itself a huge problem. 
And also unconstitutional, I would say, because everybody is guaranteed equality under the law. And when you single out certain classes as protected and others, other classes as not, then that's not equality under the law. But putting that aside for a second, are drag queens protected classes now? That's like a demographic. A, a, a guy who enjoys cross-dressing is now that's their, that's their own category of people. Says, uh, according to Yahoo News, California police are investigating after a group of men allegedly interrupted a drag queen story hour at a library in San Francisco Bay Area. The men, who police believe to be part of the far-right Proud Boys, reportedly yelled homophobic and anti-LGBTQ plus slurs. Now, that part, the homophobic and anti-LGBT slurs, I didn't hear that in the, in the video. Now, the video does go on for a while longer. Maybe there are other videos, too. I don't know. I didn't hear in that clip. Um, and they don't, in, in this article, they don't quote what exactly those slurs were. Everything I heard in that clip was directed at the, the drag queen and the whole concept of combining drag queens and kids. That's their problem. On Saturday afternoon, police responded to calls around 1.30 p.m. that there was a disturbance at the San Lorenzo Library during the story reading. Um, authorities said that a group of five men had disrupted the event, which was attended by children, parents, and community members. The men began to shout homophobic and transphobic slurs at the event organizer. The men were described as extremely aggressive with a threatening, violent demeanor, causing people to fear for their safety. An active hate crime investigation is underway, as is an investigation into the annoying and harassing of children. <laughs> uh, the annoying and harassing of children. Annoying? Is that actual crime now, first of all? Being annoying is a, is a crime. There are a lot of people I know who need to be arrested in that case. But no, they weren't harassing the children. If they were harassing anybody, it was the adults. That's what all this is directed at. They were there because their belief is that the children are being harassed by the event. And they're correct in that belief, by the way. The police added, as we celebrate Pride Month, we will be swift in our response to any incidents where there are threats to harm members of this community. Of what community? The drag queen community. Or are you saying that uh, dressing in drag in front of children is what? Synonymous with the gay community in general? I think there are plenty of gay people that would disagree with that. You know, I, I'm pretty sure there are plenty of gay people who would say that, uh, uh, no, it, it, you, you can you can be opposed, just because you're opposed to um, drag queen story hour, like that has nothing to do with me. This to me seems um, very, it's, it's, it's sort of a similar thing to when, uh, when people, just like the, what's going on with Jack Del Rio who criticized BLM rioting and then is accused of being racist by people who I guess are saying or insinuating that violent rioting is an essential part of black culture. That's what they're saying, in that if you oppose violent rioting, then you're opposing black people. So the law enforcement here, I guess they're saying the same thing kind of about, about the gay community. They're saying that uh, dressing in drag in front of children is an essential part of gay culture, and therefore if you oppose that, then you oppose gay people. That's what they are saying. They're either saying that or they're saying that, um, that drag queens themselves are their own protected class, protected community. Whatever, however you explain it, it's totally insane. Absolute nonsense. Um, 
The host uh, drag queen Panda Dulce told local public radio station KQED that when the men came in shouting, uh, okay, they're using the female pronouns, that when the men came in shouting at her, she was eventually escorted out of the room by a security guard for her safety. That's the other thing. I've actually noticed this recently. When, when, When the media talks about drag queens, they use the female pronoun. But the whole point of a drag queen is that it's a man dressing as a woman. That's what a drag queen is by definition. So now they are connecting drag queens and transgenderism. But a drag queen, by, if, if, it's a, if it's a woman dressed like that, then it's not drag. That's just a woman. So what? I guess in the media, in the article, they are just sort of referring to her referring to him as the character that he's playing, which is a female. Uh, Dolce, whose name is Kyle Casey Chu, says, I didn't know if they were armed. I was only acutely aware of the fact that neither myself nor any of the other librarians were armed. They totally freaked out the kids. They got right in our faces. They jeered. They attempted to escalate the violence. I didn't see any of that, did you? I didn't see in anyone's face. I didn't see an attempt to escalate the violence. And I didn't see them attacking the kids in any way whatsoever. All right, let's move to this. From the Daily Caller, it says, uh, there's a movement afoot now. It says, Republicans in the Texas State Legislature, led by former Department of Health and Human Services Chief of Staff Brian Harrison, are requesting that a deputy WHHS secretary provide them with the department's legal definition of womanhood. President Joe Biden created a Gender Policy Council in March 2021 with the goals of reviewing the Trump administration's approach to the Title IX and addressing uh, gender inequity in the U.S. and globally. Since then, he's ordered bans on discrimination in education based on gender identity, which could lead to male students using female bathrooms. It's preparing to require states to permit the prescription of puberty blockers and other hormones to minor patients. However, the Republicans note the Biden administration has not publicly stated how they define the term woman under federal law. Um. So this is, uh, as always, a good rhetorical tactic. Of course, what my whole film is built around of trying to get them to define the word woman because it brings down the gender ideology house of cards. But it's more than that also. It's actually a legal question. That if if under Title IX, women are supposed to be protected in all these various ways, then there is a legal question about how you define the word. What actually is a woman? So we could talk about this in the rhetorical sense. We could talk about it ideologically. You know, we can have this discussion, but there's also a legal question here, which is one of the reasons why Marsha Blackburn asking Ketanji Brown-Jackson, that was not a gotcha moment. I mean, it's never a gotcha moment to ask somebody, what is a woman? It's only, if it's a gotcha moment, that's their own fault. Okay, if you can get got by that question, that just shows you there's something wrong with your own uh, viewpoint and your own worldview. But it's actually, it's a legal question because there are laws protecting women. And so what do we mean by that? Who, who qualifies under that, under those kind of laws? Uh, eventually this, this is something that's going to make its way up to the Supreme Court. I mean, there's going to have to be a, a ruling on this. And yet they, of course, can't define it. So this is a brilliant move by the Texas Republicans, I think. More news out of the administration. The energy secretary has been asked, as you might imagine, 
Um, if there's any plan to bring down gas prices, and all these various secretaries of all these agencies, uh, most of the time you wonder what exactly are they doing with their time. We know what Pete Buttigieg has been doing. He's been ha hanging out at his house. Um, but most of the time, there, there's not a lot for them to do. But then you have s situations that arise where, okay, this, this is your purview. Like You should actually be doing something here. So we've got a, a major problem with gas prices right now, crisis-level problem, and it's only getting worse. You're the, you're the energy secretary. Now it's time to leap into action. This is your turn. Let, let's do something about it. And um, here's what she has to offer. Listen. You filled up your EV by charging and you filled up your gas tank with gasoline and you have the same size tank, you would save $60 per fill up by going electric rather than using gasoline. So it's very compelling case. But again, to your point, we want to bring down the price at the point of purchase. Right. So the first answer is let's go to electric cars. That's the answer to the gas price. The real answer for her is you know, the gas prices aren't a problem. What's the answer to the gas prices problem? Well, to the Biden administration, there is no problem. This is actually a good thing, and they've been pretty clear about that. They see this as an opportunity. They, they do not want to fix these problems. That's a big reason why. You know, We talk about incompetence in the Biden administration. There's a lot of incompetence, of course. Um, but is it, is it pure incompetence that has led to these problems? Is it pure incompetence that prevents them from solving the problems? No, there's also just a lack of will, a lack of desire. They don't see it as a problem. Uh, the other thing that the Biden administration has been doing, and, and in some of these interviews, the energy secretary has been calling on the, uh, the oil companies to step up and be patriots and just bring down the prices on their own. Um, there are a lot of problems with that proposed solution, but one of them is that you're, you're, are, you are beseeching right, the, the oil companies while in the next breath announcing your intention to bankrupt them. So that's, just, that's, that's not great outreach, let's just say. You're going to have difficulty working with someone or with an industry when that is your sales pitch. Hey, help us out right now in the short term, and uh, five years from now, we'll bankrupt you. Sound good? Not exactly going to work. All right, uh, moving on to this. Ibram Kendi has a, a new book out, and the new book is called How to Raise an Anti-Racist. So he's going back to the same, well, he already has uh, Anti-Racist Baby. He wrote that one, I believe. And now he's got How to Raise an Anti-Racist. Um, and all of these books, you find them all over Barnes and Noble, and he, they, 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 all these media interviews and everything. Nobody actually reads or buys these books. Um, but he was on MSNBC talking about the book, and he said a few things that I actually think are worth responding to. Let's listen. So uh, tell tell everybody why you wrote the book. Well, I, I wrote the book because the, the, the more that I that I researched. Uh, this issue about race and children, the more that I continued on as a father, the more I realized that kids are actually the most vulnerable to racism, mm -hmm. but, with, but they're the ones who were least likely to engage about it. And so I wanted to write a book that would allow parents and teachers and caregivers to figure out ways to protect our children from these simplistic messages like dark is ugly and light you know, is good so they can grow up to be um, whole people who recognize racial equality. 
And your message is that parents should understand that children uh, are already forming opinions at a very early age, some research says, as early as three or four years old. They do, and that's the unfortunate truth. Um, but, but according to scholars, by three years old, our kids have an adult-like concept of race. By three years old, our kids are attaching uh, qualities like smartness and honesty and cleanliness to, to skin color. And all the while, parents are, are, are thinking and teachers that our kids aren't thinking about uh, skin color or even seeing it. And so we're not stepping in to counteract those messages, and we need to. Okay. He says we got to counteract the message that kids are getting that dark skin is ugly and light skin is good. Where are those messages exactly? Where are they hearing those messages? I mean, who is saying that? Who exactly is saying that? Give me, give me one example. Give me like one modern example of that message being promoted anywhere, least of all to kids. Where exactly are they getting it? I mean, they're certainly not getting it in, in media, in Hollywood. They're getting like almost the opposite, actually, of that message. Um, they're not getting it in school. They're, so where are they getting it? What are you talking about? Yeah, so I, I bravely am speaking out against the, the, the message that uh, dark skin is ugly. Well, it's, 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 it's always really brave to speak out against a, a, you know, a, an idea that nobody is proposing in the first place. But more to the point, he says that kids are the most vulnerable to racism. And that, again, is the opposite of the truth. That's just not true at all. Um, in fact, kids, it, it doesn't actually occur to kids to be racist. And how do I know that? Well, I know that because um, I've been around kids. I have kids. Like, I'm familiar with the concept of childhood. I was a kid at some point. So there's a lot of just sort of um, experience, including lived experience, that tells us this. Um, I also know because I grew up in the 90s when there was not this obsession over race. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a racial utopia, but there was, was not the same obsession. And I've mentioned before, I can remember going to uh, going to grade school in a very racially diverse area. And all people, lots of, uh, of black classmates, Asian, so on and so forth. And yes, as a kid, you notice the physical differences, of course. You notice it, but you don't attach a lot of significance to it. You might have some dumb, like childlike sort of innocent questions about how, how, how exactly does it happen that people look different or end up with different color skin and all that kind of stuff? In fact, those aren't really dumb questions at all, actually. Um, so you might have questions like that. And kids might be prone to saying things that are kind of awkward because they don't know any better. But they don't attach, kids actually do not attach significance to these things. They just basically see people as people. And just what, take your kid to a playground anywhere and just see how they're playing with with the kids they don't they don't stop like you're not going to see kids on a playground stop another kid and say oh no you have a different skin color you're not going to play with us it just doesn't happen so if you were to just leave kids alone they're already most kids are already living in a very uh, diverse environment okay so if you were to just let them be kids leave them alone kind of leave them to their own devices on this particular issue. It's not going to be an issue. 
No, it's people like Ibram X. Kendi who have to come around and tell the kids that there's a significance here. No, what? so it's actually the opposite message. He and all the so-called anti-racist people, they're the ones telling kids that, oh, no, you know what? You guys all look different, and the fact that you look different is very significant. And, and here are all the reasons why it's significant. And not only that, but the other thing they say to the kids is, well, you see these, these, these kids over here, these are the white kids. And their, their ancestors are all racist and they're oppressive. And you over here, you're the black kids, and, so, and, you've been, and you're being systemically oppressed. In fact, you're being oppressed by these kids over here, and, and you might not even know it. And they don't know that they're oppressing you, but they are. And here are all the privileges that these kids, these white kids are getting that you're not getting. And it may seem like you get the same privileges and you're living basically the same kind of life, but you're not. No, they get all these privileges and you don't get them. So people like Ibram Kendi, they're the ones doing that. Under the guise of anti-racism, of curing kids of a racism that they don't even actually have in the first place, they are creating it. They're creating racial divisions. And of course, they're doing it entirely on purpose. All right. Um, speaking of black issues, I, I thought this was great from Ron DeSantis. Here he is expressing his pride. And I thought this was, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis gets a bad rap sometimes as um, not being the most progressive guy. But here he is expressing his pride in, um, in one of his most uh, prominent African-American supporters. Let's watch this. So what I would say, um, you know, I'm focused on 2022, uh, but with Elon Musk, what I would say is, you know, I welcome support from African-Americans. What can I say? <laughs> so somebody asked him about, about Elon Musk saying that he su- potentially will support him in uh, 2024, and that was his answer. So that's... <laughs> Uh, you got to appreciate that. I mean, he's not the first one to make that joke, but to hear a joke like that, which isn't even really a joke. I mean, it is actually true, technically, that Elon Musk is uh, he's an African-American immigrant. He, he is. But to hear that joke from a prominent politician, that's just, that's uh, yet another reason to support Ron DeSantis for 2024, if he runs. And, you know, the word on the street is that he probably will. I hope he does. And look, I'm not going to make this, I'm not going to go into a whole other thing here about comparing Ron DeSantis to President Trump, but I will just say that DeSantis, to my mind, is a more effective leader, a more effective executive, has been way more effective at at getting conservative legislation actually passed, conservative policies put in place, and I also think he's funnier. I think he's he's much better, actually, at trolling the left even than, than Trump is. Not that that actually matters all that much for a, a president. You know, there are other things that are priorities over that. But if you care about that, um, to whatever extent you care about it, I, I think that DeSantis is actually better at that. Um, he's just—he's a funnier, more clever guy, and, and that, that does actually matter in terms of politics. Quick on your feet, able to think on your feet, um, having some wit. You know, I, I just—I just think DeSantis is clearly. Uh, by far and away, should should be considered the favorite over Trump. Here's a, speaking of which, so reporter Kimberly Leonard of Business Insider <clears throat> tweeted this a couple days ago. She said, Governor, Governor DeSantis, who's 43, still has over $21,000 in student loans. He doesn't trade individual stocks. His net worth is $318,000, far lower than many top politicians. And if he runs for president, he may clock in at the lowest net worth in a crowded field. So, Yet another reason to like DeSantis. He's only 43. I actually thought he was a little bit older than that. He's only 43 years old, and he's basically a normal human being. I mean, he's, he's uh, relatively well-off, 
you know, compared to the average salary in the United States, but his net worth is only, you know, only in, you could say only in comparison to most other people who run for president. He's not a millionaire. He's not a billionaire. Um, again, that's, that's not the most important thing. I think the most important thing is, is this going to be an effective leader who can actually get these, put these policies in place? That's what matters the most. But all the, even when you look at all the peripheral stuff, I still think he stacks up really well. All right. Before I get to the comment section, there's one other thing that I think is incredibly important that I have to play for you. So the Audubon Society is a group dedicated to conserving the bird population. And um, you may think that there's no way to politicize or sort of wokeify birds, but you would be wrong. So let's put the tweet up first. This is from the Audubon Society. They say, this Pride Month, Audubon partnered with Drag queen and intersectional fem- wait, sorry, drag queen and intersectional environmentalist Patty Gonia. Patty Gonia. Okay, I just got that. Uh, to bring you birds, tell us. Before we continue, I just need to. Uh, can we just stop for a moment on um, drag queen and intersectional environmentalist? Uh, birds tell us the song of the meadowlark, a message of hope for the future of our planet as we face climate change, if we choose to listen. Okay, so this is a song by Patagonia, the intersectional environmentalist drag queen. And this is all to uh, this is all for the sake of defending the birds and conserving the bird population. Uh, let's let's listen to the song together. Can we just stop? Pause it there for a second. That guy, can we go back to what he looks like, his, his, uh, what this guy is dressed as? Because I just, I, I always ask this question, and it, yeah, I don't understand. What, is, what are the drag queens going for? Like, who, who are you supposed to be? Why is it that drag queens always look like the evil stepmothers in Disney films? I, I just don't understand it. Anyway, we haven't heard the song yet, so I don't want I don't want to trash the guy too much until we hear the song. Let's let's keep going. Birds tell us. Birds tell us that the world is changing. That the climate is changing. They sing it over us and around us in their songs and in the songs they no longer sing. Just before dawn? No, I don't. People believe it's to tell each other that they made it through the night. No, that's not what that's not I don't believe that. As a way of saying I'm still here. No, it's like it's mating. It's not nothing to do with that. As a way of saying I made it. That's not why birds sing. That's incorrect bird information. This is the Audubon Society. You think you at least get some correct bird facts out of this thing? Birds sing to let us all know that they're still here, they survived the night? I don't think so. Don't turn it down, keep, keep playing it. We're, we're gonna play this entire thing. I've decided. This is character building for all of us. We're gonna make it through this together. Is a feathered thing perched upon the soul, singing 
never ceasing, giving wings. This is not supposed to. This is not supposed to be funny. I don't. I don't think they're going for humor. This is actually can be a quiet sound. What emotional reaction are we supposed to be having? Oh, it's over. How am I? How are we supposed? What? What? What are they going for? Is that, I think that we're supposed to be like emotionally affected by that. It is. Tr- it's. It is just they're beyond parody. The left is quite literally beyond parody at this point. But I will say one thing: watching that, I, I am getting some great ideas for my own interpretive dance. So that's the one positive from this. Let's get to the comment section. Micelle Martinez says, Matt, wannabe Professor Dave had to turn off his comments on his reply video to you titled Cancel Cancel This. He was getting triggered by anyone who disagreed with him and even F-bombed me and called me a bigot for using the harming children excuse, quote unquote. I was going out of my way to be respectful, but yeah, same attitude as the people you interviewed in the documentary. Uh, Oh yeah, Professor Dave, I forgot that we... So yeah, he was the, um, he was the smarmy tool bag who gave his, he's, you know, he was, he was too, too cool for school as always. And I'll, I'll answer this. What is a woman question? I'll give you the facts. And it's just nothing. It's just nothing but nonsense. He's went on for not with nonsense for 20 minutes um, and never actually answered the question either. So apparently he has a response to me titled cancel this and he's turned and he's turned the comments off. That's great. I didn't realize that he, I'll have to go and check that out. Um, all right. Mountain N says, in the early 70s, if you wanted to transition, you had to go through a year of psychoanalyst and psychotherapy, and if they still couldn't talk you out of it, then the doctors would cut you. But until then, the teenager or adult couldn't get the surgery, and doctors agreed to that regime of waiting a year of therapy. What happened to that system? Yeah, well, that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, just constantly doubling down, constant progression in the way that cancer progresses, right? It's like a progressing tumor, um, and it just gets worse and worse. Because even a system of you have to wait a year, uh, you know, you have to be, even if it was, you have to wait a year, you can't be under the age of 18, all these things. um, Even that wouldn't make it okay. Because as I've said many times now, I I don't think the doctor should be allowed to do this kind of thing to anybody. Um, But even that wouldn't be okay. And yet that would still be somehow an improvement over the insanity right now. The fact that they don't even have that, like they don't have mandatory, they, they want mandatory wait, waiting times to buy guns, right? Is there a mandatory wait for chemical castration? No. Um, Spirit Matter says, imagine Matt has become an animal rights activist. Yeah, you know what? I'm this this is what's happening now because the world's turned on its head. So I'm uh, I had to speak out for animal rights yesterday. At least the right the right of a horse to not be crushed like a pancake from you know morbidly obese people riding on them. So I got to speak out for animal rights. I have to speak out for the birds now. Even this is this is this is who's looking out for the birds. Of these the, you know you got a drag queen dancing around, reciting slam poetry. So now I got to take over that, I think, defending the birds. 
And with what is a woman, I'm now also the leading feminist in the world. So along with being the leading LGBT author. So everything is uh, everything's just turned upside down. Uh, let's see what else do we got. Jamie Gitt says, Christina Aguilera's, Aguilera's song is only bettered by Rachel Bloom's sex junk on Bill Nye's Godforsaken show. The social engineers are very clever, though. Every time she mentions sex, I can't help thinking of sex. Yes, that's, uh, that is clever. I, you know, I, I read this comment, and you put in my mind that song. I'd completely forgotten about it. I blocked it out of my mind. I blocked out of my mind the existence of Bill Nye, the existence of that show. I think it was on Netflix, right? For a, for a very brief and strange period of time, Bill Nye had a show on Netflix. And then I remembered, yes, I'd completely forgotten this song performed by whoever Rachel Bloom is called Sex Junk. And you know what? Because you put that in my mind, I almost decided to play it on the show. But I, I can't do that. Even I. Even that's too fine. I especially can't do that after the drag queen thing. So I can only choose one, one of those things per show. This week was the premiere of our summer blockbuster, Terror on the Prairie. The wait has been long, but it's finally over. Gina is back. It was 18 months ago when Disney fired Gina Carano over a couple of social media posts. The Daily Wire hired her on the spot and announced that she'd be starring in and producing our next original film. Well, that film is here, and you can watch it right now. Terror on the Prairie is a raw and visceral Western with Gina, as you've never seen her before. Like a woman who refuses to be canceled, she fights tooth and nail to defend her family from a gang of bloodthirsty outlaws hell-bent on revenge. The Daily Wire's mission is to bring you films that challenge the viewer without any agenda except to make great movies. I'm really excited for everyone to see this film. It's a high-action Western without the wokeness. So go to dailywire.com slash Gina to become a member and watch the film today. That's dailywire.com slash Gina. Now, speaking of Westerns, Ben Shapiro's third Thursday book club is back tonight at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. And this month, Ben will be unpacking Shane by Jack Schaefer, considered to be the great American Western novel. I think also the great American Western film as well, uh, and my personal favorite. He'll share his notes and analysis with you, as well as answer all of your questions live. This isn't your average book club. It's your chance to engage with Ben, share knowledge, and uh, deepen your understanding of the most culturally significant books ever written. To join Ben's book club, you need to be an all-access member, so head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member or upgrade, and tune in tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we cancel with a vengeance, George Washington University, which has decided to discontinue the use of its Colonials moniker and mascot, citing concerns about inclusivity. The Daily Caller reports, quote, George Washington University's Board of Trustees voted to rename the Colonials moniker for the school in the name of inclusivity, according to a statement from the university. The board voted to change the name in hopes of finding a name that unifies the community, according to a university press release. The statement reads, quote, The committee said that uh, changing names should be rare, but also recognized that the GW community was divided on whether to change the Colonials moniker. In this case, the special committee found that the Colonials moniker does not adequately match the values of GW and can no longer serve its purpose as a name that unifies the community. Now, what exactly is the problem with Colonial? Well, a student petition, which garnered only 550 signatures in a school with a total enrollment of 27,000, yet they got their way anyway, um, this is what the petition says. Quote, we as students of the George Washington University believe it is of great exigence that the university change its official mascot. The use of colonials, no matter how innocent the intention, is received as extremely offensive by not only students of the university, but the nation and the world at large. Yes, the nation and the world. The world is offended by the George Washington University mascot. This is something that people all across the world are worried about. 
Go to go down to the uh, most impoverished parts of India, and you're going to find people who are wor- just who are you know, rocking themselves to sleep, worried about the George Washington University mascot. Anyway, it says the historically negatively charged figure of colonials has too deep a connection to colonization and glorifies the act of systemic oppression. Okay, yes, it's uh, it's received this way. They say. The people who are complaining actually recognize that their interpretation is not necessarily accurate. The colonial mascot was not meant in the way they're taking it, obviously, yet they've chosen to receive it that way, and so the mascot must be changed. They've invented an offensive mascot in their heads, a mascot with that, uh, that glorifies systemic oppression, and they're projecting that figment of their imagination onto the real world. What's more, they know that they're doing this, and they acknowledge it. But perhaps we shouldn't judge them too harshly until we know what nicknames they suggest to take its place. I mean, if they have an idea that's significantly better than the old mascot, maybe that's reason enough to make the change. Fortunately, they do list their suggestions in the petition. So this is what they say. Alternative nickname recommendations are revolutionaries, river horses, or hippos. Now, revolutionaries, that's not all that bad, except that you know that when they say revolutionaries, they have in mind revolutionary in the sense of BLM rioters and Antifa terrorists. Um, River horse sounds like a gender-neutral name that some blue-haired yoga instructor would give her child, a child she probably had via surrogacy. But then, hippos? I mean, maybe there's some connection between hippos and George Washington that I'm not aware of, but even so, you could not choose a goofier name or animal for your mascot. Now, it is true that hippos are actually the deadliest animals in Africa, but uh, intestinal parasites are deadly also. And I assume you wouldn't want to make that into your mascot. Or maybe you would. The George Washington University intestinal parasites. has a nice ring to it. And it's appropriate too because there is a kind of parasitic infestation happening in our university system right now, which leads to ridiculous decisions like this. Specifically, there are three reasons why changing the colonial mascot is very stupid. So let's go through them briefly. Number one, the colonial nickname allegedly promotes and celebrates colonialism, therefore making it offensive. But I thought mascots denigrate and dishonor the thing or person who's been made into the mascot. Isn't that why we're changing all the Native American mascots? Because in that case, we're told that it's racist to reference Indians or Indian culture with a mascot because it degrades them. So wouldn't that mean by the same logic that the colonial mascot actually insults and degrades colonialism, therefore making it a super woke and PC choice for a name? So which is it? Do we celebrate a group of people by turning them into mascots or do we insult them? Now, I would answer the former. Mascots certainly are meant to celebrate, to pay homage to whatever has been chosen as the mascot. The left seems to agree with that interpretation when it comes to names like colonials. But then they take the exact opposite interpretation when it comes to a name like Cleveland Indians, for example, which is why that team was, was, uh, was renamed last year. And in that case, the name Indians had been chosen as an homage to a Native American man who played for Cleveland in the late 19th century, um, back when they were called the Cleveland Spiders for some reason. But people started calling them the Cleveland Indians because of this player, and then they eventually they adopted that as a name, which is a great honor to that player. I mean, they, they named the team after a Native American player. And after over a century with that name, they changed it so as to no longer insult Native Americans by paying tribute to them with a mascot. And that is, that's because the mascot did not pay tribute, we were told. It was an insult. 
yet Colonials does pay tribute to colonialism. So none of this makes any sense. Number two, here's a really important detail. The, the Colonials referenced by the colonial moniker did not engage in colonialism. They were colonists who actually abolished colonialism in what is now the United States by forming the United States. Quite famously, they fought a war to end colonialism here and to establish a sovereign nation. The left's interpretation of colonial might make sense if the university's mascot was King George, but it's not. It's George Washington, hence the name, George Washington University. And George Washington led an army to free the colonies from imperial rule and thus, again, end colonialism. So we see that the argument for getting rid of the mascot makes no sense on two different levels, and we're not even done yet. Number three, um, there is nothing inherently evil, least of all racist, about colonialism and colonization itself. Even if it happened to be true that colonial was meant to be a sort of vague homage to colonialism in general, it's not true at all, and only an idiot could think it was true. But put that aside, if it was true, I still wouldn't agree with changing the name because I don't agree with the premise that colonialism is is some sort of inherent evil. Not every form of it has been good, and certainly abuses have occurred within the context of colonization. That's why the Revolutionary War was fought, after all. But historically, colonization was simply one country or kingdom sending explorers and pioneers to establish settlements in other parts of the world. Yes, they were looking to expand their reach and their power, but that's how the world was settled. All people everywhere across the entire world looked to expand and stretch you know, beyond their own horizons. This often led to conflict and violence, but that's how civilization came to be. It was driven by the fundamental desire to expand into the unknown, to reach beyond apparent limitations. Colonization is a different sort of thing, though, in the modern age, when the world is, is known and already settled, more or less. But it was different historically. The world was not always this way, which may come as a surprise to the students at George Washington University. History, after all, does not seem to be their forte. And that's why, in the end, they are canceled. At least the 550 who signed that petition are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. The economy collapses. The quadruple-vaxxed Dr. Fauci catches COVID. And abortion supporters attack 23 pro-life centers. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.